chapter number 92. This is a great psalm, and I probably say that every week. They're all good, right? But uh, this one's a, a good one. I, I've never forgotten this one either. It got a hold of me when I was young. I heard a, a great message on it, or I guess what I kind of thought was a great message on it years ago, and I guess it was to some extent. I will not name the guy because he did a, he did a lot of good for the Lord. Uh, led a lot of souls to Christ, but I tried to re-listen to that message now, years later, and uh, I felt like, man, we get this stuff all messed up a lot of times. Uh, what I'm going to give you this morning, and I want to preach to you on a fresh anointing. Uh, what we need is a fresh anointing from the Lord. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to give you a bunch of emotional hype. Uh, I don't want to get you to focus on some kind of a spiritual experience although there may be a little bit of that in here. Let's look at the text, if you would, please. And I want you to notice in verse number 1, he says, He that dwelleth, excuse me, it is a good thing, that's Psalm 91, not Psalm 92, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. Upon an instrument of ten strings and upon the psaltery, upon the harp with a, harp with a solemn sound. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the work of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. That's why I said I don't just want to give you some kind of emotional hype. I want you to understand God and how he works. I want you to understand his spirit. I want you to understand his word. Notice the next verse. It says, A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. So, if you're going to get it, you can't be a fool. You've got to ask God for wisdom. Because naturally, the natural man doesn't perceive the things of God. They're foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. So, when you open up a Bible and you start asking God to speak from His Word, it takes God, through His Spirit, to teach you the Bible. And there's not a person in this room that can't learn your Bible. I don't care what your IQ is, your background is, your religion is. I don't care. You can learn your Bible if you ask God to teach you that book. And boy, do we need it. When the wicked spring is the grass, verse 7, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, and you're seeing that in this world around you, it is they that shall be destroyed forever. But thou, O Lord, art most high forevermore. For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. Now watch it. But my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Mine eye also shall see my desire on mine enemies, and mine ears shall hear my desire of the wicked that rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow up. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. God help us. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching. Brother Long, would you you pray and ask God to bless the preaching this morning, please? Thank you. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Three times in David's life, you'll find that he was anointed with oil. The first time was in 1 Samuel 16 and verse number 13 when he was just a teenage boy. Samuel came out and went through all the sons of 
uh, of David's father and, and to, you know, to find the one that was supposed to be king. And Esther, he went through them all that none of them were the right guy. And you know the story. David was out there in the field and he said, are, are these all here that I studied? He said, no, there's another one out there tending the sheep. He's the runt. He's the one nobody would look at, nobody would pick. And they said, well, go bring him. We will not sit down until he come hither. So they went and they got David and brought him in there. And David kneels down before Samuel. And Samuel anoints him with oil to be king over Israel. That was a very spiritual thing because the Bible tells you in 1 Samuel 16, 13 that at that time the Spirit of the Lord came on David and never left him. That's why he said when he committed his sin with Bathsheba, he said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. It's funny because in that same passage in 1 Samuel 16, it says the Spirit of the Lord left Saul at that time and an evil spirit from the Lord began to trouble him. Doctrinally speaking, you understand that in the Old Testament, if they sinned after they were, quote, saved, unquote, they could lose their salvation and lose the Spirit of God. That's not true of you and I. That's why God pointed out specifically about David. He said at that time the Spirit came on him and the Spirit never left him because that needed to be pointed out because that was not promised in the Old Testament. God gave the sure mercies of David that now that were in the New Testament with the full revelation of what God's been doing and had planned and all the rest of that. Looking back, you can see the type there of a New Testament Christian, but doctrinally that was not promised to him. That's why it tells you that God did that that for him as a special thing outside of his dispensation. Do you understand that? He wasn't sealed with the Spirit like you and I are. Now I'm going to try real hard not to get too deep and too teachy this morning because I need to preach a little bit. But, but I want to say this to you here soon before too much longer. Maybe when we get through Revelation and or Romans, I'm not sure which. But I'm going to start into teaching some kind of fundamental basic doctrines. We've got so many new people coming to our church. and It's such a blessing to me. It's exciting to me. But I realize like not everybody understands all these doctrines like the doctrine of eternal security and what rightly dividing the word of truth actually is and why in the New Testament does it say that he that endureth to the end shall be saved. I mean, does that mean we can lose our salvation or not? And we need to go through some of those fundamental doctrines and just spell some of that stuff out for you. If you've been saved a long time and you know all this stuff, come anyways because you need it again. I'm looking forward to getting into it. (laughs) And I know all this stuff already and most of it I can teach off the cuff, but I'm looking forward to getting back into it. So we're going to go through some of that. I'm going to try not to spend too much time on that this morning. But I got to point out that David was anointed three different times. The second time David was anointed was in 2 Samuel chapter 2 when he gets anointed king over Judah, right? Only Judah at 30 years old. I mean, years ago as a teenager, he gets anointed to be king and God lets at least a decade run in his life before he actually winds up getting anointed to be king. God promised him he was going to be king over Israel, correct? At 30 years old, God teases him. (laughs) Saul's now dead and instead of getting all of Israel like he had hoped, God gives him Judah only, starting him out slow. It's almost eight years later that he gets anointed the third time in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And at that point, he's anointed to be king over Israel, all of Israel, the United Kingdom, Israel, and Judah. So what you see in that is that, listen, one anointing really isn't enough. Those anointings were actually very special times in the life of David. I mean, what a special moment that is as a teenage boy. The shock of like, wait a minute, God just called me to preach? Like me, of all people? God called me to preach. Yes, God wants you to be a preacher. Nobody would have guessed that I'd be the preacher. I'm not even the guy gifted to do that. I'm out there taking care of the sheep. All my older brothers are more talented. All my other brothers are bigger and stronger. And all my other brothers have more influence. And everybody sees them as the socialite. But God wants me to be a preacher? Yes, God wants you. What a special moment in David's life. But one wasn't enough. He comes up to 30 years old after all that he'd been through and God put him through the ringer and God tested him and tried him and prepared him. First, he had to learn how to follow before he knew how to lead. The anointing to be the king was not enough to make him a king. 
It was God saying, this is what I'm going to do in your life. And it had to be a fresh and an exciting thing. I imagine that David went back out to sit with those sheep and got his harp back out to play as he's sitting there strumming that harp and he's singing those songs and writing those psalms. I imagine that he had a whole new vigor about him, a whole new excitement about him. Now all of a sudden his life had purpose and he knew what God was going to do with him later and how encouraging and exciting that had to be for David. But I imagine... After time wore on, that newness kind of wore off. God gives him an opportunity. He goes down there and he slays the giant because God gives him a lion. God gives him a bear. Little tests. Before God sets him up in front of a giant and he slays the giant. Can you imagine the recharge that he must have felt? The excitement that he must have felt? It's like after baptisms, you know, we baptized a bunch of people last week, like, wow, what a blessing. I saw it on the face of a young guy, well, a young guy is 35 years old, but on uh, Friday afternoon, 3 o'clock, sitting at, I asked you to pray for him, right? Sitting at Panera Bread and Howell. Went through the gospel. He knew a bunch of Bible, been in church off and on a long time. He knew a bunch of scriptures. Nobody ever laid out for him what it meant to be saved. He knew bits and pieces here and there and could answer a bunch of questions, but he had never personally had a moment where he asked Jesus Christ to come into his heart and save his soul, understanding that if he didn't, he was going to go to hell. Man, what a blessing. You could see it come over his face. Big old smile, man. He got done. I just sat and looked at him. I I like to do that kind of pause sometimes and look at him and wait. (laughs) He breathed real deep. He said, thanks, man. That's a fresh oil is what that was. As a moment, the Spirit of God did something inside his heart, washed away his sin. The Spirit of God moved into that man's heart and sealed him unto the day of redemption. That was a fresh moment. It's a moment every one of you needs to have if you haven't had it yet. But one anointing is not really enough. David goes through that experience with Goliath, and then I imagine... Round about the time Saul's taking that javelin and trying to pierce him through the wall and trying to kill his, his best friend Jonathan, there had to come a point where David's like wore out with this. You watch and study the life of David, man. He got wore out during that long period of running from Saul. And why am I doing this? And here I am. God anointed me. God promised me something. I know God's going to do something with my life. And here I am in the middle of this massive mess. And it's not turning out well. I don't know what I'm doing and why. I need to quit and go somewhere else. And he did. And he messed up. He quit and went somewhere else right before God was fixing to give a breakthrough in David's life. And he almost lost his guys. They were talking about stoning him because of a mistake he made because he got to a point where he needed a fresh anointing and it wasn't coming fast enough. So he took off and did his own thing and wound up almost in a huge mess without the salvation of God. Then he gets another anointing. And then that anointing drags on for eight years with a divided kingdom and all kinds of treachery and all kinds of rebellion and all kinds of traitors and all the rest of this stuff going on. Just an absolute wreck. And then he gets a third anointing. When you come to Psalm 92, this guy says, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. You know what he's figured out? He's figured out the day is coming when God's going to encourage my heart again. The day is coming when God's going to pour out that oil again. You don't have time this morning for the study, but anointing with oil throughout the Bible represents the Holy Spirit of God. It represents sanctification. It represents a setting apart. And what I want to preach to you on this morning is you need to be anointed with fresh oil this morning. If you're saved, if you're born again, what you need is something fresh from God. The reality of the Christian life is the anointings are great and those are moments you can look back and say, that was a time that God touched me. That was a time that God did something special in my life and there will be those times. You need those times. I need those times. Moments where you know that God showed up and God spoke to you and God did something for you. God took you to the next level spiritually. Some kind of a breakthrough. Something you never forget. No, I'm not being charismatic. No, I'm not talking about getting slain in the spirit and falling out and speaking in tongues, which is one of the things we'll teach on as we go through this. I'll show you why. It's in the New Testament. It's in Paul's books. It's in the book of Acts. Why don't we do it? You should know that, and I'll teach you why. And I think when we turn passage to passage, you'll know. I'm not talking about that. 
I'm talking about something where God really shows up and does something for you, where you kind of get renewed in your spirit, where you're kind of excited again about serving God, where you're kind of pulled through the drag and the drudgery of the mundane and the routine and the discouragement, and all of a sudden you feel fresh again between you and God. Do you know every relationship in the world requires fresh oil? I asked an old guy one time, great big old guy, He'd been married over 40 years. I said, how do you do it, man? How do you keep it fresh and happy and excited? He said, oh, man, it's like a, it's like a furnace. It's like a wood stove. You got to go out and get some wood. You got to throw some wood on that fire, and you got to stoke the flames, brother. You got to stoke the fire. I said, okay, stop. <laughs> it's enough. It's okay, I get the point. <laughs> That's how it is in marriage. You stay married long enough. The newness wears off. You remember the anointing? You remember the day that they opened that door? You should remember it wasn't that long ago. (laughs) They opened that door and there she was. I remember it like it was yesterday. She's coming down that aisle. is all I could do to hold it together, man. Stood there and held her hands and I swore before God and before that church, forsaking all others, cleave thee only unto her so long as you will. Yes, sir, I will. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. What happened a decade later? Gets kind of quiet, don't it, sometimes? What happened 20 years later? You know what you got to do? You got to look for that fresh anointing. I just can't wait to have a baby. I'll give it three years. Let them get in their terrible twos. You know, you can be real engaged sometimes as a parent, and then it gets kind of old, and you want to just disengage. <laughs> and he's fresh. You know what happens in church? Oh, we just love this church. It's so much better than my old church. And we were just, we were looking for this. And when we came, the Lord spoke to our hearts, and it was like a fresh anointing. This is exactly where God wants us. And oh, the preaching, and oh, you're my second favorite preacher. <laughs> And then what happens down the road? Well, I'm just not really getting anything out of it anymore. You know what you need? You need a fresh anointing. God ain't changed. The Bible ain't changed. I hope I'm changing. I hope I'm changing because I'm staying in the book and preaching the book and staying in the book and preaching the book and staying in the book and preaching the book and just faithfully grinding it out one day at a time and then boom, a fresh anointing. And the change comes. And then you go right back to grinding it out, grinding it out, grinding it out, be faithful, do the right thing, and then boom, the change comes. You know why you need a fresh anointing? Because you can't do this thing on your own. I'm telling you right now, you cannot live a Christian life, build a Christian home. We cannot build a good, strong, Bible-believing church that's going to stand the test of time. It's a blessing to me that we're coming up on 16 years. I'm excited about all that God's doing, but I do not want to become a machine. I do not want to get in the rut. I want a fresh anointing from God. I love seeing what God's doing right now. Hey, the soul's getting saved. Visitors coming. God's doing some great things. we got to have a touch of God on this thing. We need a fresh anointing. Now, just because some of our brethren make too much out of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean we should ignore them. Do you hear what I said? A lot of our brethren make too much out of the Holy Spirit. And then as a result, we overreact and go so far the other way that we don't even talk about them. There's nothing wrong with the Holy Spirit. He's holy. He is one with the Lord Jesus Christ and one with the Father. The Holy Spirit's a good thing. And Christian, you need a fresh anointing of Him this morning. Hey, you didn't lose Him if you're saved. You still got Him. The difference between our doctrine and that charismatic doctrine is that we believe we've got Him, but we got a leak. Have you spoke with tongues? Are you filled with the Spirit? Well, yeah, I have been from time to time, but the problem with me is I got a leak. You understand what I'm saying? That's why you're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. You've got Him and He's staying with you. But the question is, does He have all of you? Are you submitted to Him? Are you following Him? Or are you vexing Him? Are you grieving Him? Our job is to be filled with Him, not to vex Him, not to grieve Him, not to quench Him, to be filled overflowing with Him. The Spirit of God ought to be in control of our lives. 
So just because the charismatics make too much of him doesn't mean I'm going to ignore him. I want a fresh anointing of God's Spirit this morning. And here's what I believe. And I'll teach this to you when we come to it. I believe that if I'm filled with the Spirit of God, that that won't mean I start speaking with other tongues. I believe that means God will help me control the tongue that I got. That's the difference, doctrinally speaking. You and I need a fresh anointing this morning because look at verse number 1. We have a God that's worthy to be praised. And to be honest with you, you and I don't praise Him enough and we don't know how to praise Him like we should. It is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises unto Thy name, O Most High. You think in the power of the flesh you know how to praise a holy God. You don't. It is the Spirit of God in you that helps you praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told us in John chapter 16 that when the Spirit of truth has come, He won't speak of Himself. He said He'll speak of me. Are you filled with the Spirit? You got the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. Oh, He's so full of the Spirit. Oh, do you see the Spirit on Him? Shut up about it, man. If you're really filled with the Spirit, then why aren't you talking about Jesus Christ? The Spirit of God doesn't come and fill us so everybody can see how full of the Spirit we are and see our gifts and our abilities. If the Spirit of God has given you a gift and an ability, He has done it so you can glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and tell the people about Him. If we're filled with the Spirit of God, He'll be controlling us and we'll be talking about Him and other people will see Jesus Christ in us and they'll say, I want what that guy's got. You'll be witnessing to people and they'll say, okay, I'll come. Not because you're perfect, but because they see something about you is different, something about you is real. I told that gentleman this week, I said, listen, man, my goal is to lead everybody to Christ that will let me. And the ones that don't want me to lead them to Christ right now, I'm trying not to burn my bridges with them so that whenever they're ready, they think of me first. I said the first thing I want is for them to think, hey, remember that preacher, that preacher Mike, Pastor Mike? I need to go talk to that guy. He said, you're the first person I thought of. I said, praise the Lord, man. That is the goal. It's not to come, I don't care if you ever come to my church or not. I get nothing out of this. What I want is to see you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. He is worthy to be praised. Jesus Christ is what this world needs. Jesus Christ is what you need. And if you learn to praise God the right way, look what goes hand in hand with it. It's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. If you're really praising God, to praise somebody is to commend them based on their meritorious acts. That means you're, you're telling them about them things they deserve, things they've earned based on their merit. Like, hey, you know what? You are this, 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 and this because you've done this, 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 and this. Obviously, because you've done this, this, and this, you are worthy to be praised for what you've done. That's praise. Now, here's Thanksgiving and how it ties in because Thanksgiving is very similar to praise. Thanksgiving is those meritorious acts toward you. Does anybody have anything to be thankful for this morning? You know how many people appreciate an ingrate? How many of you have ever seen family members? Of course it wouldn't be your child. Your nieces and nephews or something at a Christmas. And your, your crazy in-laws or siblings go spend $400 on a toy for a kid that cannot possibly comprehend the worth of $400. Right? And the little brat pulls the toy open and then just says, Oh, it's not what I wanted! You ever seen that? <laughs> I've seen it. It scarred me for life because I couldn't do anything about it. It wasn't mine. <laughs> like, are you kidding me right now? You little stinking brat. You got stuff you don't deserve. You don't even understand the value and worth of what's been given to you. Somebody else sacrificed to get it for you. Somebody else did themselves damage. Could have used that money on something else. To try to do something for you to show their love to you. And all you can do is throw a fit. If you don't like your present this Christmas, Christmas is coming close. Some of us are stressing it. (laughs) It hits the budget kind of hard, you know. Think about that when you're like, well, happy is the man at this quiver full of them, and I'm more spiritual than everybody else because we don't believe in birth control. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. Uh-huh. Do what you want. I don't care, but I'm not paying for their Christmas. I got my own to worry about. Amen. <laughs> yes, I said that. It's okay. 
That's how some religions grow their church. And they put a burden on people that they're not willing to pay for and then expect you to tithe on top of it. Have all the kids you want. I could care less. I'm not counting. Ain't my problem. Just saying. Don't do it under religious pressure. Anyways, here you are doing something for somebody. They don't even deserve it. And you're pouring it out on them. You kids, if your parents do something for you this Christmas, smile and say thank you. I really appreciate it. If they say, here's the receipt and you can exchange it, then okay, great. But take it and realize you don't deserve it, you little brat. Well, it's Jesus' birthday. Bring me a present. (laughs) You you ever think about how insane it is? We lost it, man. We're crazy. You ought to be thankful. Do you know how many people like to be around somebody that's not thankful? Can't you find something to thank God for this morning? You know what it needs? It needs a fresh anointing. Honestly, you need some help from the Spirit of God, and so do I, to be able to take our minds off of all of our problems and all of our pressures and all of our struggles and all of our difficulties because we could all complain if we wanted to. The longer you get and and the older you get, the more you have to complain about, I promise. Well, you have to ask God for a fresh anointing to realize, man, I got some stuff to really be thankful for. Is anybody thankful for the spouse God gave them? Well, you know, all the faults. Well, what about your faults? (laughs) You ever stop and think about that for a second? So we have such high standards for our spouse, but then we look in the mirror and we're like, yeah, I'm perfect. Step back a second and look at all the junk they're putting up with dealing with you. You ain't perfect. You got all kinds of weird quirks. You got all kinds of issues. You're probably as much the problem as your spouse is. A lot of times in marriage counseling, this is what we come up with. You guys deserve each other. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Hope you make it. The rest of us are trying to too. Amen. Stop for a second and say, I got some things to be thankful for. Hey, it could be a lot worse than it is. God could have given me what I deserve rather than showing me His grace and His love and His mercy. I'm thankful for what God's done for me. Anybody drive here in a car? Just stop and say thanks. Appreciate the wheels to get here. It's not as sweet as theirs. Well, so what, man? You got one. Y'all got clothes on. We would have sent you back if you didn't. Amen. We'd have met you at the door. Did you stop and thank God for the clothes on your back? I don't see anybody starving. If you are, tell me. We'll buy you lunch. You ever stop and thank God for the food? I mean, I'm just asking you to think a minute. You got kids? You thank God for them? Did you get up this morning? Taking breaths? Some of you need to breathe right now. You're like a little bit. Breathe deep. I've already said enough stuff. To, you know, it's all we're in now. Let's just forget about it and keep going. God put that breath in your lungs. You got a church? You got a church? You know what a blessing it is to have a church? I wasn't sure we'd have a church 15 and a half years ago. We were here six months or three months. I don't know if you remember when I said, I don't think we made a mistake. I think this was right this time. Six months. I'm glad we got a church. I didn't build this thing. I'm just just here grinding it out one week at a time, and I've hit more equipment points than you know about. It ain't me that's kept myself in the ministry. It's a fresh touch from time to time from God that keeps me going. And some of you don't realize it, but you're the fresh touch. And you get your stinking nose out of joint and get mad over something stupid and decide you're going to leave church. Oh, nobody notices me. <laughs> yeah, it's all about you, isn't it? That's what church is about, you. Not coming in and saying, thank God for God. Thank God how good he is. Thank you, God, for saving my soul. Thank you, God, for giving me a church pew to sit on. Thank you, God, for giving me breath in my lungs. Thank you, God, for giving me a Bible. Thank you, God, for a family. Thank you, God, for a vehicle. Thank you for a job. Thank you for a roof over my head. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for everything. If God kills me today, I've got more than I could ever deserve, and I've had a great life. If you think it's born to serve Jesus, you ain't serving him. We need a fresh touch of God to be thankful for something. Stop whining and complaining all the time. 
Look at his loving kindness in verse 2. To show forth thy loving kindness in the morning. Think about that word, loving kindness. That's a beautiful word. It's, it's kindness. You ever have somebody just be kind to you? Can I just say something to some of you older folks? This is what's impacted me the most about some people 20 years plus my age. When I realized 10 years later what an idiot I was running my mouth in front of them, and looking back, I can see the look on the face and the smile. Hey, bud, how you doing? And I look back and I say, that individual was overlooking so much about me. They had a lot to say and to criticize and tell me what you need to do is, and you should do this, and you should do that, and you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do that. But I was a grown man, young, making mistakes, stupid. But somebody was older than me and had enough wisdom to hold themselves back and be lovingly kind to me in spite of my stupidity. Because they had the wisdom to know you can lead a horse to water then can't make him drink. And when man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And when you give advice you weren't asked for, you're a moron. And instead, I can look back and I can point to a couple of individuals that showed me loving kindness. And those are the guys I went to when I got in the jam to ask, me to, help, ask, to, ask to help me out. And they were there to help me out. And my ears were wide open. You know what it was? It was their loving kindness that got to me. Not the fact that, you'll, well, when you're my age, young man, and you got a lot to learn, and yeah, you'll, you'll figure it out. And you're like... You think about the ancient, almighty God, the ancient of days, omniscient omnipresent, omnipotent God is lovingly kind to you and me. He could dice you up, man. He could dice you up. He can find faults and flaws in you you don't know you have. And you can't praise Him. You can't thank Him for His loving kindness. In verse 2, it says his loving kindness and his faithfulness. I think faithfulness means the world. Do you understand that? From a pastoral perspective, more important to me than talent or anything else is faithfulness. I'll tell you what's blowing my mind about this church right now. And, and it shows your heart. Our Wednesday night service and our, our, our Sunday night service, and I never pressure this stuff, and I'm not pressuring now. That's almost as full as Sunday morning. My goodness, man, what is going on with these people? <laughs> How many pastors I've heard complain, and they just, every Sunday morning or every Wednesday night especially, they preach to the choir about people that don't come back on Wednesday night. So beat up the people that are there on Wednesday night about the Sunday morning people that don't come back. I'm happy you come here faithfully if you only come Sunday morning. I have always said that, and I will always keep saying that with the help of God. If you pick to come here rather than somewhere else once a week, good job. I'm glad you're here. It blows my mind how faithful you guys are becoming, this church is becoming. You know, that's more important than us being anything special. If we'll just be faithful, we're like our God. That's how our God is. He's faithful to us. He has never left us or forsaken us. I mean, you and I have messed up on Him. We've stepped out on Him, spiritually speaking. We've sold ourselves. We've committed idolatry. We've committed all those things we ought not commit. We've put other things before Him. Every saved person in this room has been unfaithful to their Savior at some point, but He's never been unfaithful to you. You can't praise Him. You can't thank Him. I like the way He says it. Show forth thy loving kindness in the morning. And get up and say, God, would you speak to me? And he says, yeah, I'm here. And then lay your head on your pillow at night and getting ready to preach this morning. This was all over me and I put my head down last night to sleep. Took a minute to get to sleep for whatever reason. So, Lord, please let me sleep. I got to preach in the morning, long day tomorrow. I don't want my brain to be a mess. I embarrass you and me enough. I don't want to embarrass you tomorrow. Help me sleep. And you know what, you know what I thought of? And I have faithfulness every night. So, man, thank you for being so faithful to me. I'm real sorry for the dirtbag I am to you, but I really appreciate you being so faithful to me. You can 100% count on God. I lock my windows, lock my door, keep my guns loaded, turn on the alarm, 
Amen. Turn on the, we had the little glass stuff on the front window with the porch light on. I could see out, but they can't see in. We had some guys going through the subdivision a couple of years ago ringing doorbells at, at 1 or 2 in the morning with uh, nylons pulled over their face. Welcome to my house. Come on in. <laughs> I, I try to be ready, but I don't trust in any of that. I say, God, keep us safe tonight. Bless my family and get us up in the morning. Everybody's going different directions now, different jobs and everything else. And I say, God, get them out there safe and bring them home safe. Can't be with them 24-7. Can't bubble wrap them. Would love to. Great way to make head cases out of them and ruin their lives, by the way. You got to let go. But man, I want God to keep them safe. I got a faithful God. Do you know when things bad happen anyways, God's still faithful in your trouble? Every night. Man, what a God. Look at the work he does in verses 4 and 5. Talking about thanking him. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the work of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. You know, God does some great works, man. I think you're looking at one. See, nowadays we measure church by, by the mega standard. Are we exploding? Are we growing? Are we administrating? Are we organizing? I think if you're going to take a church, just a real simple biblical model, and you're just going to preach the Bible and sing the hymns and fellowship and go home, and you're going to preach uncompromisingly, it's like a diamond. It might be small, but it's worth a lot. You know what's amazing to me is how many people are coming to church and saying, keep preaching, preacher. Preach, preacher. Preach, preacher. And God's filling up this little building for us. You ain't doing it, and I ain't doing it. Souls are getting saved. Yeah, you, you brought them, but it's God that does that work. You think you can convince somebody? You can't do it. I can't do it, but God's been doing it. It's amazing to me how many people God seems to be working on right now. Boy, I need a fresh anointing of God to recognize the work of God and what God does. I need a fresh anointing to excite me about God's work in the life of other people. I want to see God working in the life of my children. Don't you? You need a fresh anointing on that. You need to recognize the work of God's hand. And you need to realize that God, God, God Almighty is working on you. Isn't He? I sure hope He is. You be the judge of it. You sitting in church like, I've been in church my whole life and I know all this stuff already and I already got it together. You're on crack. Every last one of us needs God's work in our life. We all need to take more steps. We all need a fresh anointing. You never get to a point where you've arrived. If you'd arrived, God had taken you home already. You have not arrived and you won't in this flesh. Need the work of God. Boy, I'm thankful for God's work in my life. I figured out a few years ago, and I know all of us would say this, but I figured it out. Not, not here, here. Do you understand what I'm saying? It, it, I knew it here my whole life. I figured it out. That in order to see something done with your kids, God has to do it. God has to make himself, listen to me, mom and dad, God has to make himself personal to those kids and if those kids won't respond to God when he makes himself personal to them there's nothing you can do still do your job anyways amen do my job till you move out you little brat you know don't care I don't thank God I don't have to do that at this moment but by the grace of God I got the backbone to do it I'm not here to be their buddy I want to be well, that's way second place. I'm here to be their dad. And I realize as their dad, with all my faults, I need God working on me. And God's got to get a hold of the heart of my kids. God got a hold of Mika's heart. About a month ago in Sunday school, came into my office yesterday after the baptismals and made sure of her salvation. That's God's doing. She was as ready as they come, boy. It's God's work. Your family saved? 
Is your family saved? That's a blessing, man. You got something to praise and thank God for. Your family ain't saved. There's only one that can do it. You better pray for them. You better get a fresh anointing of God's spirit to live your life in such a way around them so that they know what you got is real. And then pray, pray, pray. And when God gives you an opportunity, give them the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray, pray, pray that God will work on them because there's stuff only God can do. You understand me? There's stuff only God can do. You got marriage trouble? There's stuff only God can do. Shut your mouth and reach out to God. Ladies, you will not nag your husband into doing right. Did you hear me? You will not nag a real man into doing right. I know this is so unpopular nowadays. I feel like i got to say it. <laughs> it won't work. What is up with this culture that wants effeminate men walking around, effeminate men in the pulpit, and effeminate men to marry? Something's wrong with you, ma'am, if that's what you want. You're not supposed to be the head. He is. And you can't nag him into doing right but you sure enough can get a hold of God. And you watch what God will do to that boy. God will do to that boy what you can't. Gentlemen, your job as the head of your home is not to beat her into submission. You don't wind up in cuffs. You need it. God's got to get a hold of her. So a leader does this. Honey, I'm going to church. See you when I get home. Why are you going to church? We need to spend time together. We could have done that yesterday, but you were at the mall. I'll be back in a little bit, honey. Goodbye. Love ya. She doesn't want to come to church. Kids, get ready. We're going to church. I'm going to stay with mom. I didn't ask you what you wanted to do. I said, get ready. Don't take your phone. Make them go to church. Shut up. Get in the car. Let's go to church. You don't make her. You do what's right because it's right to do and you love her like Christ loved the church and when she sees God's got a hold of your heart, she sees the loving kindness of God wearing off on you. She sees the faithfulness of God wearing off on you. She sees the stability, power, and goodness of God in your life. She just might say, hey, I think that's what I want. It's a work God can do. And God can't do a work in your life and through your life on other people if you won't let Him work on you. Aren't you thankful you got a God that works on you? Man, I'm so glad God hasn't given up on me, and I'm so glad He still works on me. I'm so glad He puts me through hard times and good times and all the rest of what He does to work on my life. I need a fresh anointing of the work of God in my life. We need it to praise God. We need it to have the power to do right and stay strong. Look at verse 10. He says, But my horn shall be anointed. Shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn? Now, a horn in the Bible is a type of power. He says, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. You got to get the strength and the power to serve God from God. You know how many Christians serve God in the power of the flesh? A lot of you were taught that back in the 70s and 80s and 90s. It was just don't quit, don't quit, be in church. And if you come to church and you dress white, right, and spit white, I mean, you don't chew tobacco, don't smoke, don't drink, all that stuff. If you do all these things, then you're spiritual. Hogwash. Some of the most wicked Christians I ever met in my life in church, every time the doors are open and they're out passing tracks and street preaching, all the rest of that stuff, that ain't the power of God. You can do all that in the power of the flesh. You know what you need? You need a fresh anointing this morning. Why? To have the power of God to do right. You know where anointing comes from? Look at verse 8. But thou, Lord, art most high forevermore. In order to anoint my head with oil, that anointing has to come down from above. You get that? You know the power to serve God comes from? It comes from Him. I rarely ever want to do things I'm supposed to do. And I almost always want to do things I'm not supposed to do. I had some ice cream this week. I'm getting old. Man, that was good. It felt terrible afterwards, but it was good in the process. Amen. Your flesh likes that stuff. I got a problem with the sweet tooth, man. Y'all think I'm so, so disciplined on my eating and all that. No, no, you don't understand. I'm, an, I'm a junkie. I would, I would really, I would look like Humpty Dumpty in about three months. 
I'd be like a boiled egg with eyeballs because I'm so short. I love sugar. Why? Because it's bad for me. Everything that you're supposed to do, you rarely ever want to do. Now, now here's the problem. Here's the problem. I don't want to be serving God miserable, do you? I don't want to be dragging myself and, come on, we got to go. Come on, I got a meeting. I got to preach. It's time to read my Bible. I got to pray. Oh, we have church fellowship today? Oh, man. You're laughing, but you know how many Christians do that? And then your kids are getting the point that, like, wow, serving God's miserable, but all my buddies and my friends at school are having a blast getting high and getting drunk and fornicating and looking at anything. God only knows what nowadays on the Internet. The power to serve God with joy doesn't come from your flesh. It comes from God pouring it out from on high. And when it's coming out of your heart, it's coming out of the filling of God's Holy Spirit, it's coming out of fellowship with Jesus Christ, it's fresh oil, then hey, you got the power to serve God with joy. I mean a happy church. Not I got a witness. And then you wonder why you never lead anybody to Jesus Christ. Can I give you this gospel track? Thanks. No, I don't want what you got, chicken. <laughs> Could you imagine if the drug dealers were trying to sell their stuff that way? Why don't you believe in what you got? You need the power of God. You need a fresh anointing to talk about Jesus Christ and to serve the Lord with joy. And it comes down from above. The power to obey God comes from God. Look at verses 9 and 11. For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. Look at verse 11. Mine eye also shall see the desire upon mine enemies, and mine ears shall hear my desire of the wicked that rise up against me. You know what you're seeing around you? You're seeing all the wicked people seem like they're doing good. You know what he knows under the power of God? He knows under the power of God that the judgment of God is coming one day on them, and the reason they're getting away with it now is because God's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, and he knows, listen, he knows, I don't care if I'm not doing as good as they're doing right now. I don't care if they seem more successful than me right now. I've been in that book, and I know what's going to happen eventually, and I'm serving God because I want to serve God. I'm anointed with fresh oil. I'm excited about serving God, even if he doesn't pay me or bless me or reward me right now. It's just fun being being saved and being in fellowship with Jesus Christ. And sooner or later, God's going to take care of everything you see that ain't fair. You need the power of God to do right. You know, you need the power of God to learn this book. Look at verse 5. Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. You know one thing I love about God? He has all the answers. Look at Psalm 119. We're almost done this morning. Just give me a couple more minutes. Psalm 119. Look at verse 99. I don't know if you ever have questions in your life. (laughs) I don't know if you ever get confused. You ever read your Bible and get confused about what you're reading? You ever look at things that don't seem to make sense or don't seem to add up and have questions? You ever, you ever get to a point in life where you've got to deal with something and you're not 100% sure how to deal with it? Have you ever noticed when you deal with something the wrong way, you can make it a bigger problem than it was before? You know what you need? A fresh anointing from God. You know what I've figured out? I'll show it to you in just a second. I figured out God puts people in my life that have more Bible in them than I have and more experience in the Bible than I have to say, now hang on a second, did you ever stop and think about this before you run your mouth? Before you go fix that problem that's bugging you, did you ever think about doing it this way? And you know what's happened? By borrowing somebody else's wisdom, literally wisdom I don't have, by talking to somebody that's got more than I got, I got it infused into me. I didn't have it. I couldn't figure out the answer. I wasn't sure what to do, and I was fixing to make it worse. 
I mean, go, it, my problem could have gone nuclear more than once. And somebody with more wisdom told me, and then showed me in the Bible, and, it, and it's like, oh. And I step out of that a wiser man than I was before with a little bit more of my arsenal and how to not to mess my life up. You know where that comes from? That's the power of God. Now watch this. Psalm 119.99. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For my te- thy testimonies are my meditation. This is one of the verses God used to get me out of the big, big box Bible college and into a place where a man knew the Bible, believed the Bible, and taught me the Bible verse by verse. Earned doctor's degree, yeah. But that wasn't what it was all about. It was about the book. I'm sitting there in class asking questions my teachers couldn't answer because I believed the Bible in front of me and they didn't. And how am I as a 23-year-old guy stumping up a guy in his 50s with doctor's degree in theology? How can a 20-something-year-old guy with Greek 1, Greek 2, and Greek 3 under his belt didn't even get to Greek 4, Greek 3, sit in Greek 3 class and raise my hand and ask the Greek professor questions that the Greek professor can't answer so he's losing his temper in front of the whole class? You know one of the proofs I got him? He got mad. You ever have somebody, like a little kid, slap you and it doesn't hurt? And, and you know, you, you, of course you, you teach them that they shouldn't do that. There's a way to teach them that. And they learn real quick that that's not the right thing to do. But, but, but I didn't say how. I just said you can teach them. Trust me, you can teach them. They're like dogs. You can teach them anything if you just, you know, learn how to make them sit, stand, you know, all that kind of stuff. Anyways, it, it doesn't blow you up. You somebody hit you real good. Well, pain, pain puts me into a red zone, man. I get mad. I've been that way my whole life. I get mad. I got in trouble when I was little. For, I just nagged my parents until they took the training wheels off my bike because some of my friends up the road were a little older than me and had their training wheels off. They told me I wasn't ready. And, I, and I took, they finally did it. My dad said, fine, you're going to learn, boy. And he took them off. And I kept falling, kept falling, kept falling. And I skinned my knee the one time. And I skinned my knee and you know, blood running down my leg. And so I just lost my, I just beat my bike up. No, really, I did. I beat my bike up. I was kicking it, and I was slamming it on the ground, all that stuff. My mom came out there, got me, and wore me out, and then told my dad. My dad came home, and dad wore me out a second time. And pain makes me mad. I knew I got that joker because he got mad. You're not going to lose your temper like that if you got the answers. And he couldn't give me the answers and then said I was just being a rebel. I wasn't. Well, maybe a piece of me was, but most of me was looking for the truth. I figured out... The problem is I believe the Bible in front of me, and there's no problems with the Bible. These guys are trying to tell you there's errors in my Bible, but there's no problem with my Bible. They can't explain some of the differences, which I'll show you when we get to these theology studies and uh, and one of our other services before long. There's no problems with the Bible. There's differences. You run to Greek to try to correct the Word of God, you're an idiot. You know who can teach you that? How did a 23-year-old guy able to do that? I go over to the 50-year-old guy and I start asking him Bible questions and I never one time rattled him. Never once. I remember one time, one time in all the questions, the hundreds of questions I asked him, one time I got him and I was so proud of myself. And the way he handled me was, was flawless. It was like a black belt against a white belt that just walked in first time ever. Doesn't know how to tie the belt. You know, they tie it all goofy and you're like, hey, idiot, it's not how you tie a belt. That's what it was like. He was like, that's a great question, man. I think I got the answer, but let me call the old man, and I'll let you know what he says. I said, okay. And I got up proud of myself. Oh, he had to call the old man to find out the answer to that question. But what I realized was I really respect him. He didn't care that he didn't have the answer. He's not trying to show off his Bible knowledge. And he got the right answer, and he cared more about giving me a good answer than trying to show me that he's the man. Why? He loved the Bible. You need, the pot. you need a fresh anointing when it comes to your Bible. Do you know who's going to teach you that book? Go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. Almost to the back, not the Gospel of John. 1 John. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Then you'll have Jude. Then you'll have Revelation. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 27. But the anointing, see it? Which ye have received of him abideth in you. 
And ye need not that any man teach you, but the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. You know what anointing that is? That's the Spirit of God. You know why we say open your Bible and turn in your Bible? Because if you're saved, the Spirit of God uses that book to teach you. You say, see, it does. I don't need a man. Need not that any man teach you. Oh, yeah? Well, you're really good at rightly dividing the word of truth, aren't you? That thing's telling you that it's not a man that teaches you when you learn the Bible. The man didn't do it by the man's spirit. It was the spirit of God, Ephesians chapter 4, in that man that gave that man a gift to minister to you the word of God. It wasn't a man doing it. I've learned so much Bible here. Praise the Lord. That's the Spirit of God that taught you. He used you, Pastor. Yes, thank you, and I appreciate that, and I know all the verses on honor and all the rest of that stuff, and thanks for being that way. That's right. But what you need to understand is it is the Spirit of God that teaches you that Bible. That's the power of God. And if you're not learning your Bible and you're not growing in your Bible and you're not getting some questions answered and things aren't beginning to click and you're not figuring stuff out, you need to ask God this morning for a fresh anointing so you open up that book and it gets exciting again. And you start making sense out of things in that book. And if that's happening in your life, that's the Spirit of God doing it. Back to Psalm 92 and let's wrap it up. We need a fresh anointing this morning. So we can praise the Lord like we should. We need a fresh anointing this morning so we can experience the power of God in our life to teach us the Bible and to give us strength to do right. But look at the last thing. We need a fresh anointing this morning to produce the kind of fruit that we're supposed to produce. Verse number 13 says, Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. You know what I want to do? I want to flourish. I want to flourish. We put a hibiscus bush in at our, by our, our mailbox last year, and it got about yay big, you know. And it had real pretty, like, the flowers that came up are the size of small paper plates, just beautiful. And we trimmed it all back, dyed and all that stuff in the winter. Do you know this year... That bush is maybe from the platform here. It's probably about that tall. Hey, honey? And about that big around. And there's big red flower all over that thing, man. You know what that bush is doing? It's flourishing. You know what a lot of Christians do? You sit in church week after week, month after month, year after year, and they're the same this year as they were last year. Why would you do that? Don't you think God wants you to flourish? Don't you think if you're flourishing, people around you are going to say, you ain't the same guy you used to be. I'll tell you something. I have a horrible temper. Okay? It's one of my weaknesses. It's bad. I have seen pastors with really bad tempers destroy their entire church. Build it up, lose their temper in the pulpit, go down to almost nothing. Gifted men, rebuild the church in the same building, lose it again, go down to nothing, and rebuild three times, three different churches in one building because it's a gifted man that's really a good pastor and a good speaker. But one flaw can destroy it. You know what I had to ask God to help me with? God, you've got to help me control this temper, man. I can't, be, I can't be doing that, Lord. You know what one of my kids said to me, and I haven't forgot it. She probably doesn't even remember maybe a year ago. She said, you have a temper. You know what I said? Thank you, Lord. Because I'm telling you right now, I'm not saying my kids have never seen me lose my temper. They know when I'm mad and all that stuff. I'm not trying to act like I walk on water or anything stupid like that. But man, I'm thankful for that. Because Mike Reagan cannot flourish on his own. I want to flourish. Can I point out one more thing to you about flourishing and then we'll, we'll I'll give you the conclusion and we're done. Look at verse 13. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the house of, and then you're going to bring fruit in old age. Listen to me. 
you will not grow spiritually if you always keep uprooting. If God puts you here because of this, don't be church hopping every three, four, five years. In order for you not to do that, you need a fresh anointing on a regular basis. And God will give you a fresh anointing if you want it. For the purpose, here's the conclusion, verse 15, to show that the Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there's no unrighteousness in Him. You know what I want my life to show? I want my life to show to everybody how great the Lord Jesus Christ is. When people look at me, I don't want them to see Mike Reagan. That's why I'm honest with you about Mike Reagan. I'm honest with myself about Mike Reagan. I want them to look at me and see, that's Jesus Christ. That's what I want from my life. I'm not saying that's what I have. I'm saying that's my goal. And I want to do that all the way into old age. I'm so afraid of not finishing well. I want you to pray. I want you daily. I want you all daily to pray for me to make it. I want to make it all the way to the grave. Faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Flourishing and fat in old age. I made up my mind yesterday when I ate that ice cream. I told my wife, I said, good night, man. I'm almost 46 years old. Who cares? Amen. When I get old and real close to death, I'm just going to start mowing. I want to be fat and flourishing in old age. I'm not, I'm not talking about physically fat. I'm talking about I want to be able to say I've been feeding on the Word of God my entire life. And that book has changed my life and it's producing fruit in my life and it's made my life effective. And without Jesus Christ, I know what my testimony would have been. Shameful, debauchery, wicked, destructive, hurting everybody, wrecking everything. But Jesus Christ got a hold of me and he anointed me with fresh oil and he used my life for some good. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.